0: Vibrations podcast, Part 21, Patrick Dransfield. Hi, I'm Gary Brightman, and this is my weekly podcast called Vibrations. Established in 2018, Vibe is a book and music shop situated in Mui Wo on Lantau Island in Hong Kong. So what's been happening over the last week? Well, last weekend was Easter, and also Qingming Festival, aka Grave Sweeping. So a long weekend, and large numbers of people descending on Lantau for a break. Business was good, but, as discussed with other Moiwo retailers, it's our last big holiday until mid-autumn festival in September. So let's hope we can have a good summer. On Monday I got my second BioNTech Covid jab, and I'm feeling fine. And more protected. On Easter Saturday we had our first book talk since last November. The world premiere of Larry Fane's new book The Flower Boat Girl. We took the usual precautions for the small crowd attending, temperature tests and masks, and social distancing. The event went really smoothly, and we simultaneously broadcasted on Facebook Live. You can still view it on our Vibe Facebook site, or on our YouTube channel, at Live at Vibe HK. This Saturday, we follow up with another event, photographer Patrick Dransfield's talk, on his new book, Track of Time, Moments of Transition and visitors to Vibe will get 10% off this book, thanks to Patrick. Once again, we'll broadcast it on Facebook Live, and hope that you can make the event. We now stock Martin Ludlow's book, Porridge with Honey. Martin's Vibrations podcast interview will be the 22nd in our series, followed by Lantau Network's website creator, Martin Molden, and then Larry Fane, making up the next three podcasts. So if you don't want to miss any, subscribe to us on our YouTube channel, Live at Vibe HK. On Friday afternoon this week, we host VIEW TV and Hong Kong's hottest canto pop band, Mirror, at the shop for a short, sharp shoot. More on that in our next podcast. Vibe is continuing to downsize its book stock by giving away free books every day. I still ask that you please contact me directly regarding any donations you wish to make to Vibe. We can still accept the right sort of donations, e.g. the ones that will keep us in business. And so, to this week's interview. Patrick Dransfield, a long-term resident of Hong Kong, has long attempted to express through the medium of photography and writing the emphatic correctness we share as human beings. He has a deep interest in the visual arts and literature of both the West and China, It is my profound hope that through preserving these flinting moments of Beijing street life from the 1980s, East and West can once again be reminded of our common humanity, our common needs, desires, hopes and dreams. Patrick holds a BA, joint honours in English and History of Art from Leeds University and an MA in Far East Area Studies, Chinese Anthropology, Chinese History and Chinese politics, from the School of Oriental and African Studies, SOAS, University of London. Patrick's book, Track of Time, Moments of Transition, was published in January. The author is donating 10% of the proceeds to the Children's Cancer Therapy Development Institute in Oregon, USA. Welcome to Vibe, Patrick. Thank you very much, Gary. Okay, so as we do, we're going to go into 10... Quickfire questions, but not necessarily quickfire answers. Question number one, what is your favourite book or
1: author? John Fowles, he wrote a book called The Magus, he wrote quite a few books, but he wrote a book called The Magus. Um, I'm really into films, and they made a terrible film of The Magus, with a very, very badly cast a Michael Caine. The Magus, um, I've read when I was 16, I read when I was about 25, I read when I was 35, and fairly recently. And it's one of these books that you learn from. There's a the character called Morris Conscious, who is this uh, kind of um, mystic Greek guy who owns this huge, um, you know, kind of mansion uh, on, the, on the Greek coast of Kraxos. Uh, okay. And uh, there's this rather snooty, snobby guy um, who went to, I think, Oxford University, the character has, and he's called Nick Ulf and it's about him being taught how to be human really right so at different yeah. stages in my life I've been probably quite arrogant like him <laughs> and you know somebody has mentored me and and there's been like a guru and then you can actually also when you you know if you read the book several times I could kinda of put myself in mm. the in the, the shoes of Morris Conscious. Okay. So it's right. a very cool book.
0: Very so cool. you identified with that character effectively.
1: As you grow older I think uh, you know you kinda of see a responsibility for younger people and you see the mistakes that you made and hope that, you know, by some kind of example maybe you can avoid the worst. Favourite musical artist? has to be Bob Dylan. That was not a difficult choice. Nice (laughs) one. I'd actually wrote a film script once where it was terrible, but every character, so one of the characters, he was a guy called Dr. Rainbow, all he did was speak in Bob Dylan. lyrics. (laughs) lyrics. <laughs> so, um, you know, he, he uh, lived that life. And I think f- to write that I had to actually listen and, and kind of read a lot about Dylan. And uh, there's one particular one, which every day there's a quote that comes to my mind from Dylan. But this one that comes today is from, uh, it's all right, Ma, I'm only bleeding. And I think quite uh, a few yes. people may... Uh, May may feel some some, uh, some kind of... Uh, resonance. Resonance, yeah. yeah. So, my eyes collide head on with stuffed graveyards, false gods I scuff, uh, pettiness which plays so rough, walk upside down inside handcuffs, kick my legs to crash it off, say, okay, I've had enough, what else can you show me? And if my thought dreams could be seen, they'd probably put my head in a guillotine. But it's all right, Ma, it's life and life only.
0: Excellent, yeah, love it. I'm a big Dylan fan as well, so
1: respect to you for that. Good call. All right, uh, preferred drink. Ah, now this was a very important question. My dad was a amateur winemaker, so there is actually a phrase that they use, and I've, I've approximated it, I don't think I've got it quite right, but it's "ludex vinum insua merita, which basically means judge the wine on its own merits, yeah. so uh, I think you can approach all of life in that way, for looking at things from their own merits, but uh, um, I'm probably more fond of, of red wine than I should be, um, and uh, if you give me a Pauillac or a, uh, or a, or a uh, Chateau Musar, I'd be very happy. Do you
0: have a life motto?
1: Punctuality is the courtesy of kinks. Yeah. Uh, my dad was in the Navy. I've mentioned my dad a couple of times. But uh, he was in the Navy. Uh, and that's, ha- in a way, how I came out to be in Hong Kong, because there was a photograph of him uh, on, on the Bund in Shanghai when he was a young man. And I always thought, well, I'd like to do that. And um, being in the Navy meant that if you actually missed your ship, you ended up in prison. So okay. he was <laughs> so court-martialed or whatever the equivalent is in the Navy. So he was always absolutely punctual to a fault and right. I've kind of inherited that kind of neurosis yes. almost actually. Yeah. So did he ever miss his boat? He didn't, no. Um, and actually there was another aspect uh, to him, he was quite crafty really, because um, uh, he always wanted to make sure he had the right billet as well. So if you're going to be on a boat for six months, you want to make sure that you've got apparently the top bunk is the one you want. So if you're early, then yes. you get the choice, right? Yes. <laughs> so.
0: Do you have a favourite Hong Kong walk?
1: Yeah. I'm not very good at the geog- geographical references, but I think it's Land Tower 6. I spent a bit of time trying to look this up, and it's a it's a it's one where if you get the bus, up and then you could either turn to Tai O or you could turn um, up the peak or you could get off and I you get off at the picnic section and it's the walk that has three peaks and okay I think one of them is Ling Wu Shan absolutely beautiful walk okay so um, do you have a favorite Hong Kong restaurant well there's a few here actually um, not a big restaurant I mean I eat out a lot but I tend to be a person of habit but one meal I was treated to recently was in Le Petit Maison, which is beautiful. Okay. It's a restaurant that's kind of, it's quite large actually, but it seems almost tucked away. It's on Stanley Street. Brilliant French food and very nice um, solminaire, you know, and, and great, a great ambience. I think there's a few branches of it. I mean, I've only just been introduced to it, but I think they have one in uh, in London and presumably one in, in France perhaps, but also uh, in Dubai. But they do the classic French cuisine really well. Now for ambience, I'd have to say tap-tap. Good, nice one. Uh, dear friend, <laughs> Mr. Wellham. Right. We have to mention <laughs> yes. that one. And then if it's uh, me on my own, I'd probably sit outside of the USRC club, which has got this uh, rather fantastic um, you know, kind of uh setup where you can sit next to the pool and what have you. Yeah, I um, know it. Yeah. And the FCC. The, 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 uh, I think one of the sustaining things that's kept a lot of people sane is being able to have a drink when we've been able to in the FCC main bar faced with a python whilst walking to the peak, what would you do? Well, I've actually rehearsed this in real life. Um, Carmen and I were walking on that very walk, the Lantau uh, 6, I think we'll call it anyway, whether it is or not. But anyway, we're walking up round that way. Um, and um, funnily enough, I got a lift from a zoologist, and he told me what I'd actually seen because I shared it with him. So, what we saw was a cobra, not a okay. python, but yeah, we saw yeah. a cobra. At first, I thought it was a dried up stick because it was kind of, you know, it's odd to see a cobra. And it was very, very, very still. And it was in that classic cobra kind yeah. of, you know, stage. And um, so we. I have always a stick with me when I'm walking actually, but we walked around it very gingerly didn't approach it, even though we were not certain what we'd seen Yeah. and I described it to the zoologist chap who picked me up um, uh, when I was walking around Kadori Farm actually, and he said, oh what you probably saw was a a male cobra who was shedding his skin, and at that particular point they're at their most grumpy because they actually shed (laughs) their eyelids as well so they can't see so the skin over the Eyes apparently. Right. And what we'd saw was the cobra at its most dangerous actually because oh it would strike. Yeah. Because it can't see and it's scared. So to go back to your scenario, um, I think the first thing is to have a stick because you make a lot of noise to make sure you don't actually yeah. come across a snake. Yeah, they will the be to retreat, won't they, quickly. That's right. Yeah. Second thing is um you know obviously keep away i think it's the second point they're more scared of you than you are of it usually yes. the third thing is they're not monkeys
0: yeah thank god i'm not <laughs> very
1: fond of monkeys and i had to throw my lunch at a monkey to get around on monkey hill one time a particularly aggressive oh, male yeah. monkey they're
0: quite scary actually oh, horrible. and if if, if you may i found if you make direct contact with them eye contact with them they'll go for you oh they're
1: even worse yeah, yeah. I did with this one and if you take male. photos of them that's what you're doing in a way well that's actually coming on to the photography bit in a bit that's why I quite like the old uh, uh, rolly, flex rolly style because yes. you're not I, I don't use it often nowadays I'm afraid but yeah that is not confrontational yeah you're right when you're actually you know directly looking at them they will yeah. go for you yeah you know? yeah best advice you were given Keep a clear head and always carry a light bulb. That's a Bob Dylan one. Yeah, <laughs> nice one. Um, yeah, yeah. I think uh, Ovid had something to say about if you want to be loved, be lovable. Um, I won't attempt the Latin, but um, I think there's some truth in that. If you actually yes. want want people to like you, then you have to go out of your way to be a decent person. I think. Yeah, I agree that. with you.
0: Finish this sentence. I live in Hong Kong because, because of my wife Carmen
1: okay all right (laughs) she's born in hong kong born and raised until she was about 13 in hong kong we met in london right um around about 90 well she'd know exactly so i'll be in trouble on this one but around about 1990 okay and we came out here in 96 and uh so her parents are still with us thank goodness and um uh that's the reason we're here we brought up three kids with with her parents as their mentors and uh, what have you
0: okay brilliant so you met her in london and then she enticed you back to Hong Kong
1: yeah I, I lived in China before and we'll probably go into that when we talk about the photographs a little bit but I'd lived in China um, in 1985 to 86 so I was yeah. actually quite keen to come back yeah I I used to be able to speak all right Putonghua. it was never wonderful but not too bad so in one way it would have been um, you know kind of better for me on one level, to be in a place where people spoke Putonghua, but yes. Hong Kong is a very, very convivial place and we've made it our home.
0: That was back in 96, so you've been in Hong Kong since that time? Yeah, yeah. yeah
1: continuously. Nice, yeah. Yeah, good.
0: Yeah. Always on Lantau or buzzed around?
1: I first went out with Carmen to Lantau um, um, around about 19. 19- Ninety-one, I think. Um, it was very, it very much impressed me. In fact, a snake was across the road; at had sadly. So oh, that yeah. kind of struck my, uh, strikes my memory. But um, we've um, always been able to come to Lantau because my father-in-law bought a kind of holiday little place um, in the seventies, okay, and that's what we use actually to this day in Hampton. Okay, and then no, you okay. know, kind of working-wise, we're we're um, actually in uh, Kowloon So for a long, long time. Uh, We lived um, just above the um, CLP tower, uh, the the old clock tower, on on, uh, Waterloo Hill. Brilliant. First time in 17 years we did a move which nearly killed us actually, but we moved from there to Jordan and we just uh, settled into a place in Jordan. Well the the, um, Manhua building is where we are and there's actually about Twelve blocks of these blocks, and they they look like radios, like the vintage radios that uh, Vi yeah. has a few of, um, and they're from the '60s. And we're on the twelfth floor in one of these blocks, and uh, we've been lucky enough to be able to knock it through and make it a little bit like a kind of, I mean, it's a bit grand to say, but New York loft sort of thing. Nice, um, and. Um, and, and it's a very incredibly cool place. I mean, there's hundreds of restaurants. Yeah. Um, some of which are actually pretty well ranked. Actually, there's even a okay. uh, Michelin-star Vietnamese restaurant there. <laughs> cool. Um, and uh, lots of Nepalese, and you know, very mixed sort of place. And it used to be right on the waterfront. So it's got even some fishing shop. Not that I'm into fishing, but you know, fishing yeah. shops and kind of a strange hangover from the time when it was absolutely on the on the harbour. Favorite area of Hong Kong. Well, I'd have to say Hampton and um, the balcony that I sit on in Hampton. Um, we'll get perhaps onto photography in a little while, but I started taking photographs because I had spent about two or three years at, the, at school drawing and painting, and drawing and painting takes yeah. quite a lot of time. and yes. Photography is much more uh, kind of user-friendly in terms of what time you need to commit to it. Yeah. Um, so I hadn't painted until we'd got the Hampton flat sorted out in the way that we like it so you know and to be able to paint and draw you've got to be able to leave a bit of a mess which doesn't always go too well and you've also got to get your your mind in a certain place as well and uh, so the balcony at our Hampton flat is is somewhere where I can draw and paint and um, you know so that's where I like the best in Hong Kong yeah
0: so you came to Hong Kong in 1996 in the spring with your wife Um, and one boy And one
1: boy. Yeah, and added two more children, uh, Nicole and Jacob, along the way.
0: Then, did you see that being? That's it. Now, I'm going to Hong Kong. We're going to stay there. Was it a kind of repatriation for your wife? And
1: I think it was. I mean, I do remember having a conversation with a lawyer friend of mine, um, and it was three years in. And um, I said to him, I said, um, you know, actually, you know, if I if I if I stay here, right, much beyond three years. Uh, You keep going, Um, then I won't really be able to live back in London or anywhere else. And he said, uh, "Well, why, why bother even worrying about that?" And I said, "Yeah, that's good (laughs) advice. I won't worry about that." It is good (laughs) advice, I think. Yeah, I I couldn't live anywhere else actually, to be honest. I don't. Yeah, yeah. So
0: it's been a good, good marriage. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. (laughs) On all levels. Okay, so let's move on to your photography. Um, So we've got your book for sale here in Vibe. T- track of time, moments of transition. Um, what inspired that book, and when was it that the photography took place for that book?
1: Okay, um, so I was living in China um, in 1985 and 86, and actually I was in an unusual uh, situation in Beijing in the sort of spring of '86 because I was living with a Chinese family, um, which was highly unusual. It was because I couldn't actually. Um, get a room on the campus of the university which was Beijing uh, normal university, Beishida. Um So uh, and my girlfriend at the time uh, had been in China before we met at Leeds University um, and uh, so we were able to actually stay with with um, uh, a guy who was a chemist and his wife who was an artist. Uh, they were very brave actually because during the Cultural Revolution they'd had a really really rough time. They'd actually come from America to China and to take you know a foreigner like me as a uh, a live-in person was 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 quite a quite a thing yeah. in those days. Yeah, very definitely. So that meant that I did a lot of cycling because I had to cycle from the very north of uh, Beijing, um, to Beishida, which is in the sort of I guess northwest, northeast actually, and then yeah. over to the diplomatic uh, center. And uh, i picked up this camera, which was a, a, a seagull. A, uh, A four camera, which um, yeah. is uh, something that I picked up in Jing I remember buying it very distinctly because Wanfujing had a pawn shop, a shop where you can obviously buy secondhand goods. Yeah, um, and it was the only thing I could afford. So I yes. saw this camera. I thought, well, that was quite cool. No idea what it does or how to use it, but it was hundred renminbi. That was actually a quarter of my monthly salary. So that was so not cheap. A chunk. Yeah, know, yeah. Uh, but I could afford it, so I picked it up, and it. Kind of, I guess, became my companion over the next three months. I, I just took picture after picture, over eight hundred actually. Wow, um, and thirty-five mil. Th- uh, actually, twelve. Uh, 12. Sorry, uh So it's one twenty films. So there's okay, twelve, twelve uh, pictures yeah. per roll, which is actually quite significant because when I'm, tr- I've been trying to use the same camera uh, recently, and and you know it it it's the results are good but it's a real effort because you know you've really got to focus on the picture you want to take it's not like today I mean of course we didn't have digital cameras in the 80s so you know nobody was taking pictures um without film but um a 12 format means that every picture has got to be something you really want to take yeah otherwise you've got to change the film and it's a it's a lot of work I didn't have a light meter
0: Right, But right.
1: I had studied, I studied um, art with my mum, actually, funnily enough. We used to go to all these different art galleries when I was growing up, and then I did art history at, at university. Um, and um, I'd also studied some of the greats. I mean, there's a guy called Bill Brandt, who's a hero of mine. Okay. And he was taking photographs um, in the, actually from about 1900 onwards. And he was somebody very familiar with very primitive photography. Um, in the early days he wouldn't even have an aperture. You know, he'd actually use his hand.
0: Really? Yeah. <laughs> so
1: going back to the basics of photography yeah, well, you, was, yeah. was a great, great thing.
0: You were taking these photos in the 1980s, mm-hmm. and then the book is released <laughs> in the 2020s. Yes.
1: <laughs> few few good circumstances <laughs> there. Um, to be honest, I think I'd actually really got familiar with maybe 10 photographs out of those 800 yeah and that's a very practical thing it's because those are the ones that came out of the dark room and i'm not a dark room person so they came out of the dark room um in in china by the you know the dark room uh, straight the rest of them were all kind of curled up Right? Okay, yeah. And they were wow. still, actually, until two years ago, they were still in the tissue paper and the boxes from the, yes. the dart room. Because um, I'd not really got around to doing anything with them. Um, and um, I guess it's a, it's a number of um, you know circumstances which has helped in terms of the fact that our three children are now in the UK they're yeah. all in one way or another in higher education in the UK um, then we moved so you know obviously we were kind of going through stuff knowing we were going to move and I kind of knew this bag of You know, negatives was around, but I didn't really know what to do with them, and there they were. Um, And then there's a shop called Color Lux um, in Wan Chai, and the guy there uh, very kindly, um, you know, agreed to, to straighten the negatives and scan them.
0: So suddenly I had them
1: on a disc. I could actually look at them. The book then came out because um, there's a sequence of events here as well, one of which is the uh, consequence of COVID-19 is the events company that I was involved in. Unfortunately, couldn't really sustain itself because if you're doing 17 events around the region and you're suddenly doing none, um, that that folded. So it gave me time. Second thing is a guy called Carsten Schall who has left Hong Kong? I believe he's in Portugal now, but he was a Hong Kong photographer for many years. Some some folk may know him. He is on the rather grand-sounding Wall Committee at the FCC. Okay, right? Right, now right. I always felt a little bit sort of marginalised by the FCC, this is where we're going to dangerous <laughs> territory, I guess, but I did think of myself as, you know, Salon de Refusé, to FCC, because oh, right. they, they, okay. they never really liked my pictures, yeah. so I sent one in, and um, actually Joanne needs some some credit here, she's the secretary to the uh, uh, the CEO there, and uh, I sent this one photograph, which is Dartung Boys, and I said, well, you know, I've got quite a few of these, and if, uh, if you guys might be interested, I'm happy yeah. to show more. She passed it on to Carsten and the committee. And to be fair, they really embraced it. Um, and I did 19 pictures um, as a special you know, exhibition, all of them hand-signed and what have you. Um, no. the, that got into the FT, actually, the Financial Times. Um, I'd also been um, kind of corresponding with Joe Ellison, who is the, um, uh, the How to Spend It color supplement editor. And um, we'd been corresponding about uh, fashion actually, it's something else I'm kind of interested in, and China okay. fashion over the years. And then she said, well, well you know, I've, I've now got this, this job where I'm actually the editor of the, the magazine, so we don't need to just think about fashion, have you got anything that you might want to put together? So I put an article together, which is part of the book, actually, I mean, the, the, the core of the first chapter is, is, is what I wrote. Um, under Joe's kind of um, instructions if you like yeah Um, and um, so they published an article with about 20 pictures which was fantastic Um, that drew a lot of interest to the exhibition and I think also um, we're in a period of nostalgia there's a number of reasons for that and I think uh, everybody's had quite a an interesting time shall we say during COVID and uh, Hong Kongers will know that you know the, the the year leading up to that was also very challenging, so we have been through the mill I think, and a lot of people are quite nostalgic to yes. times in the past, and we're getting to a certain age I guess. I mean I'm 56, we're all getting to an age where we reflect back on our time, so a lot of old China hands, and I use that, um, you know, kind of uh, uh, with some discretion, but a lot of the you know foreigners who's, who could leave China. Feel very nostalgic about yeah. the eighties because it was yeah. very different. Uh, particularly, you know, eighty six. This I think would be a, you know the liminal time um, of of China where everything was possible. Um, Chinese people. I wanted to do the exhibition in in um, uh, in Beijing in January uh, of last year, but of course that proved to be impossible. And uh, Chinese people's reactions are very different. They're much more measured because, of course, this was a time which captures actually a period of time where China wasn't rich and uh, people were, you know, hopeful for the future, but also conscious that China uh, was not, you know, the equal of other other countries at that particular point. So there's kind of a poignancy there. And so the book came about because people had responded so well to the exhibition yeah, um, and I've been in publishing for a while, so it just seemed a natural extension to put it together. It didn't right. take long; it took twelve weeks, um, and I was very lucky that Rana Mitter, uh, the great Chinese historian, China historian um, uh, from Oxford University, agreed to write a foreword for it. Um, and uh, there's about sixty photographs in it altogether. Sixty. Okay. Yeah. So you get a good, good, good deal for your money. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: And of course, you're going to be here at Vibe on Saturday, the 10th of April, yep. uh, 2 p.m. You're going to do a presentation on on the books and the photos, and. Sure. Um, book signing for people that are interested
1: yeah and um, if you'd like a bit of a preview I'm not sure what format we will do it but I may talk a little bit about art history in relation to the books um, to the book and I did this with the Asia Society as a launch of it in January yeah so if, if folk want to listen to a YouTube of that it's a little bit long it's an hour but um, what I wanted to do with that was something a little bit different from what's in the book yeah. Um, and um, you know to sort of extend myself itself and challenge myself a little bit because well, I did study art history and I wanted to kind of reflect on why these particular pictures work and you'll have to see the pictures themselves to make a judgement yes. for yourself yeah. as to yeah. why they work but I think one of the reasons is that um, I'm particularly inspired by people like Rembrandt um, and particularly also Vermeer yeah. and if you imagine... Datong, particularly, but also Beijing. There were no, no cars on the roads. Um, there were still mule uh, tracks around, you know, um, people, you know, transporting yeah. things with, with donkeys and what have you. Um, so it really was going back into a different time. And the photographs are black and white. Um, just a quick word about the actual uh, Seagull camera, because in some ways it is the star of the show. Actually, um, is a camera you hold by your chest. And it's a periscope. So it means yeah. that I can actually be talking to you, Gary, yes. whilst I'm actually taking the picture. And you yes. won't necessarily be aware. Yeah. I'm not trying to be too candid with this, but we yeah. can engage on a very human level. Eye contact. Eye contact. Yes. And people yeah. were, I mean, the other aspect to it, which I think a lot of younger people um, may not appreciate, and I think we've all forgotten actually, so everyone, is that photography and having a photograph taken was quite a big thing I mean, if, if you could yeah. go back to when you were at school yeah yeah are there many pictures
0: 1960s 1970s yeah any pictures yeah. not many yes yeah i have got a few i mean generally it would be form photos that would be taken uh, you know from your year or i was a footballer so i had football ah. photos yeah. but they'd
1: be quite formal wouldn't yeah they? Yeah, yeah they would yeah. yeah,
0: they would all be staged. Yeah. So
1: one person that did pop along with his wife to the exhibition, who was from China uh, and is about my age, um, was really interesting as to what he had to say, because he said, because uh, they were looking at the stuff in the pictures, right? Because okay. there's quite a lot of stuff in terms of,
0: you know... <laughs> Technically.
1: If, if you, look, if you yeah. look at them carefully, like, for instance, there's a couple in there which I call um, First Love, and um, uh, they're they're not holding hands actually, they're holding a a bag which showed that actually any kind of physical contact was was kind of rather frowned upon, a very, you know, kind of uh, um, place of great surveillance. Yeah. But the second thing is uh, the guy is wearing a watch And uh, my friend uh, who I'd met at the exhibition, who was one of the few people from China, you know, obviously here, because we've been cut off, he said, well, you know, I remember I got myself a Phoenix bike Right, a big Phoenix bike, okay. which meant yeah. that I could get a girlfriend. And his wife, <laughs> ah. who obviously had been his girlfriend, said, "Yep, yeah, okay." So he could be able to take her out on a date on his big bike. Yeah. And he said, "The next thing you got when you got married was, you know, your wife, you know, to be would get some jewelry, yes. and the guy would get a watch, and then the next thing you'd get would be a Seagull camera." To take the pictures oh. of the offspring there would only be one i guess and yeah. that was to share with the grandparents yes right yeah. so in the picture in the pictures it's quite interesting because it's all those all those periods of time that's yeah. right that's right all,
0: yeah. all captured that's interesting isn't it i mean it's almost like your 18th birthday in the uk your 21st and then your wedding and then your the, chr- the christenings of the kids and We do similar, don't we, in a way. Um,
1: So people have asked me, they've they've said, um, so are these these pictures staged in any way? Or, you know, why are people so... Kind of happy to be in these pictures. And I think partly yeah. it's because, um, you know, I, I could speak a bit of Chinese and I was kind of cycling around There's this, uh, you know, foreigner who, who was kind of, you know, I guess a little bit engaging and everybody was kind of on the streets. I mean, most of the entertainment that people actually did was on the street so people were kind of intrigued had this kind of rather wacky camera that they recognized I mean they knew this yeah. was, is was a, a camera that wasn't looking so unusual as it does today but I think also um to have your photograph taken yes. was something of a life event so people yeah. were kind of thinking oh okay you know I'm happy to, yeah yeah yeah
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah it's funny isn't it even though I don't know whether they knew or they didn't know, but they would never see that photo. Right. You know, yeah, that, yeah. That would, that, just the development process of that negative would take time.
1: Yeah, so um, people have asked me what other photographers were around at the, the time, and um, I'll, I'll, I'll go to that. There's a guy called Adrian Bradshaw, uh, um, and he's done a great book, which is called When the Door Opened. Um, and again, they're black and white um, photographs. Um, and, and Adrian was using a Leica camera. And uh, we knew each other then because I was working as a kind of best job I ever had was actually reading yeah. the newspapers for, for Newsweek, uh, kind of <laughs> like a librarian sort of job. And Adrian would walk in with his, with his Leica. And he'd be taking lots of pictures of things like Pavarotti. And I guess he might have been around when Wham! were there a bit okay, earlier and cool. all that kind of stuff, yeah. right? Um, and uh, so those are those photographs. Um, Mine are different because I was living in a different circumstance. I was actually living with a Chinese family. And uh, basically, um, you know, they're much more about ordinary street life. Yeah. And one thing that um, uh, we, the, the proceeds go to a, cancer, a children's cancer research charity in Oregon, actually. So some of the proceeds. Um, yeah. And that's uh, something I, I feel quite passionate about, having gone to the campus. It's uh, on Nike's campus in in, or- in Portland, Oregon. And um, anyway, um, uh, uh, Charles Keller has written... A brief um, uh, acknowledgement in, in the book, which talks about ordinary people doing ordinary things. Yeah. Which picks yeah. up on your point, Gary, that I think it's really important that we all recognize the fact that we all have basic human attributes, needs, desires. And, um, yes. you know, in this time where, uh, you know, just going to a, a broader perspective here, um, there's an awful lot of uh, vitriol, an awful lot of. Uh, you know, us and them. Oh, um, yeah. and, and I think we have to be reminded of our own, yeah. all our common humanity. Yes,
0: yes. Anything else you want to say about the book?
1: Well, you get a special mm. discount if you come to Vibe. So yeah, thank you important. for that. Yes, no, my, my, my pleasure. And I will on April the 10th, my birthday is on April the 12th, actually. So it's quite yeah. quite good timing. Well, we better have a uh, nice drink. <laughs> <laughs> April the 10th, I'll bring the Seagull camera and I'll show people... Uh, I think it's actually quite important to see the piece of kit because it actually is different from what most people um, recognize as cameras these days. And, of course, I still take photographs. I use a Leica most of the time, but also my iPhone, so I'm no different from anyone else. But um, that camera is a little bit special, so I'll bring that along to show people. I would encourage everyone to keep taking pictures. And um, if you're serious about it, I'd probably try and get away from digital for a while because um, there's one or two budding photographers out there I'm sure who may be listening to this and uh, my advice to anybody who is is keen is first of all actually look at the great masters not just necessarily photographers but you know be interested in in the the painters of the 17th to the 20th century yeah and, and absorb those because those people have had to actually really think about framing because they painted large oil paintings or whatever so you could be really inspired by them and I think one of the things that I found because we've all gone through various from analog to digital and I did it actually I didn't really do it I kept all my vinyl I'm very glad to say but you know people tend to (laughs) throw stuff out going back to the basics I think was a great opportunity for me um, to just really learn strip down how to take a photograph, um, and and um, there's a great piece of advice from a guy called um, uh, Harry Callahan. Now Harry Ca- Harry mm-hmm. Callahan, I only got introduced to Harry Callahan uh, by look. I happened to be able to go to Washington one time. There was an exhibition of Harry Call- Callahan's work. Um, but I'd realized that he'd taken every photograph I'd ever thought about taking and taken them much better. He only spent a week in Hong Kong and his photographs of Hong Kong are better by miles than mine from, from many years. <laughs> but Harry Callahan was quite interesting because he was um, a very down-to-earth guy. He'd actually worked um, in the Ford factory and then he'd gone to uh, art school, he'd gone to the Chicago School of Art, which in the 30s had all these guys who'd been banished from Hitler's Germany, so all the Bauhaus oh, wow. guys were there. So you've got a guy with a work ethic, who his phrases are actually really quite, quite, uh, almost like almost like Leonard Cohen in their terseness, which uh-huh. is, uh, you know, a photographer always has a camera. Okay, Fair enough. <laughs> um, I may have taken 500 photographs in my lifetime which are any good the rest are rubbish <laughs> that's another one but um he, yeah. uh, he was inspired by these great minds on and the Bauhaus you know we know all our modern design yeah um, comes from these guys and and you know very progressive very avant-garde ways of looking at the world but also with that you know kind of very protestant work ethic where he would Craft and work his photography every day, and I think he's one of my inspirations.
0: Okay, good. All right, well, that just remains for me to say, Patrick Dransfield, thanks very
1: much for coming to Vibe. And thank you, Gary. It's been a great pleasure.
0: You can listen to all our podcasts published at SoundCloud under Gaz or on YouTube under Live at Vibe HK, or follow the links from my website at vibehk.com. Finally, a reminder that Vibe is open seven days a week, every day of the year, from 12 noon until approximately 6.30pm. Well, that's it for another week. Thanks for listening to the 21st Vibe book and music shop podcast called Vibrations. I'm Gary Brightman. You get my Vibe? Can you imagine what this old island must have looked like to those Dutch sailors when they first saw it? Like a dream, of a like a dream of a new world
1: they must have held their breath afraid it would disappear they before they could disappear. touch it